Welcome to Libraries Out Loud, a podcast series produced by the University of Buffalo Libraries. I'm your host, C.J. Keough, Public Services Specialist at Silverman Library on UB's North Campus. In each episode of Libraries Out Loud, we'll explore connections between the UB libraries and the research, learning, teaching, and creative activities of our faculty, students, and staff. In this episode of Libraries Out Loud, we will explore how the UB libraries collaborate with the Experiential Learning Network to create real-life learning experiences for our students. Cindy Tissick, the head of our Education Services team, will be the narrator in this discussion and will be joined by Dr. Mara Huber, the Associate Dean for Undergraduate Research and Experiential Learning, as well as three librarians here at UB. Brian Sajeki, a Student Support and Engagement Librarian, Kim Plashy, the Sciences Librarian, and Carolyn Klotzbach-Russell, our Social Sciences Librarian. At the end of this enlightening discussion will be two interviews we conducted with a couple of UB students. I had the privilege of interviewing Curran Berry while my colleague Omar Brown interviewed Anthony Bertelli. These two students were able to complete projects through connecting with the Experiential Learning Network and they explain how they were able to utilize the expertise and resources of the UB libraries during the development of their respective projects. Without further ado, here's Cindy. Thank Hi. you for coming and having a chat with us. Okay, so I think probably our collaboration, mm -hmm. which kind of is more global and how we initially both started. And what we're going to do this morning, today, is have a conversation about the role the libraries can play in developing learning experiences for our students. And I guess to start off, Mara and I are going to kind of talk about how this collaboration partnership actually happened and came about. So, Mara, what do you remember? Oh, goodness. Um, it has been quite an adventure. Um, my role at the university has been to um, develop uh, an institutional approach, I guess, to experiential learning, which is all of this exciting um, learning that happens outside of the classroom. Um, and as we have been developing our models, um, really the libraries has, has been with us right along. Um, for me, it, it really focuses on, on two different aspects of my work. Um, one is uh, supporting the students themselves in experiential learning. Um, and we have a model that we developed um, for that tied to digital badges uh, that we're partnering with the libraries on. And then there's this whole other realm around um, working with global partners. So I think we are going to explore both of those today. So I came in, introduced myself, and you being you had a nice, warm, welcoming conversation <laughs> with me and found out pretty much like my whole life and interest. And we figured out that we had a passion for, for global. For global. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the promise of global engagement has always captured my interest. Um, you know, when we look around the world and, you know, look at the challenges facing the most vulnerable communities and ecosystems, um, there's just this tremendous need for resources, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the resources that are needed, we happen to have them um, in abundance at a major research university. Um, and I think you and I both discovered early on um, that, you know, if we could find ways to engage with global partners around, you know, sustainability, around these big humanitarian areas, um, we could at the same time provide really meaningful opportunities for our students to engage. And since most of this work involved virtual collaboration, digital resources, um, you know, context development, all of these um, pieces that we started exper experimenting with, um, really aligned with, with your role mm -hmm. um, and the libraries in terms of its, its, its bigger vision. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I remember getting started that way as well. So can you tell me the model that you follow? Because when you discussed your model with mm -hmm. me, I really saw the libraries in a lot of it, but the first one, definitely. <sighs> Yeah, uh, so we needed a model, uh, first of all, and that really resonated with you, you know, rather than these flat strategic plans that are so 
um, tied to specific moments in time and context, we needed something much more dynamic, right? Because we wanted to scale experiential learning and we wanted to embrace it in its most abundant and diverse forms, you know? So rather than, um, you know, constrain what counts, we wanted to open up experiential learning for students. So the more we sort of opened up the possibilities, we needed to really support their learning and their engagement. And so we came up with um, a framework. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple. It's called PEARL, and it stands for prepare, um, engage, and add value, reflect, and leverage. And um, we tied that framework to digital badges to create a uh, facilitated um, system, really, um, for supporting students in all type, types of experiential learning. Um, in this model, preparation is absolutely critical, especially if you are going to engage students in projects and experiences that are so new. Um, and when we talk about global engagement, um, imagine, you know, connecting a student who is a, oh, I don't know, an anthropology student, mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, with an NGO partner in rural um, Uganda. Right. I mean, that is a big learning curve. Right. Um, and so we think of preparation as setting intentions, context setting, um, skills and in, in, in competency development. And um, that was just about as aligned with you and your work. Um, that was pretty obvious. Right? right. From the start. Yeah. And I guess um, Brian, Kim and Carolyn can kind of talk to that, speak to that as well. It's almost like a reference interview. Mm, you know, absolutely. if you're a reference librarian, if you're a specialist librarian, yeah. and at the time I was the anthropology librarian. So one of the first experiential learning students I had was one that was going to be going to Africa and she was going to be dealing with um, female issues. Right. Um, women's empowerment, things like that. Oh, menstrual health. That menstrual was the, health. That was yeah. The student, yeah. And so I was called upon to give the student like <laughs> a, a package of literature and it was really like a reference interview. So either one, any of you want to speak to like what happens in a reference interview so someone can kind of understand the prepare part? It's kind of, it's never a one size fits all mm -hmm. thing. Okay, so every time you're meeting with somebody and you're going to provide some sort of help, there's always that people don't know what they don't know and they don't know exactly what they want. So you have to ask the right guiding questions to figure out exactly where they want to go and how they want to get there without manipulating the process to the point where you hijack the whole thing. Mm, exactly. So that's essentially what the reference interview is like. And there's a there's a really heavy science to it and it takes a lot of uh, charisma and it takes a lot of practice. Is there any, when you have a student, um, let's say in your office and you're doing, you know, a, a consultation with them, they're about to do any type of project. So the three of you have actually created experiential learning projects. So um, it's also about the projects that you created with the ELN, but also in your day-to-day. -day. So when you have a student that's in your office, what approach do you take with them to try and figure out how to prepare them for whatever project they're going to be working on? I try to get as much information from them as I can about what they know or what they think they know and what they don't yeah. know. Um, like Brian said, you don't want to hijack it or guide them too much because they could leave the office without anything or what they actually needed. Uh, so for our project specifically, which we will talk more about um, shortly, we focus on locations in the Great Lakes area in our region, but we have a lot of people looking at it globally from a different view that perhaps aren't from the Buffalo area. So they come to us and they'll say, oh, well, for example, I want to um, do a project on the Niagara Gorge. So we let them know like the importance of the region, give them resources so that they understand why that's important for us locally, but also give them practical information for how to travel there, the distance to there, uh, and you know stuff like that that's in practical terms important for the project. Uh, but with reference interviews, it also doesn't end when they leave. And that's the case with this project, too. Like, we always welcome students to come back and ask questions, mm -hmm. do some research on their own, 
And it's really organic in a way because then they may think, well, I want to go in a different direction Mm -hmm. with their studies, especially, or whatever research they're doing. But with the projects, too, they may see something isn't feasible or they have another interest or need entirely. Yeah, that feasibility is big, I think, especially with when I'm conducting a reference interview or just narrowing a topic down, especially where students will come in. I'll say, well, what what's your topic? What have you researched already? Um, And how many articles or how much resources have you found? Can we narrow that down Mm -hmm. a little bit, too? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes they'll I'd like your what Kim, what you mentioned about leaving that door open, too, because often we'll get them started. And I'm like, oh, we just decided to go in a completely different Mm -hmm. direction or we decide to narrow this down. So why don't you look at these resources and then come back to me? And I've had students that. Um, have followed up on that. And I think that's one of the most productive types of reference interviews is where you can kind of keep that conversation. I think, I mean, I think that's absolutely huge because for the global projects, you know, what students think they want to do is based on assumptions. Mm -hmm. It's based on where they are. It's about them really, right? And the whole benefit of these global projects is that you shift your focus Mm -hmm. to the needs and the vision of a community. It's not, I always stress, it's not your work, mm-hmm. right? These NGOs are the ones that are, are doing the work. You have right. an opportunity to add value and through adding value, you can contribute, but you can't contribute until you get some context and understand. And so for us with the, with the global projects, uh, you know, that second phase of engage, and we, we say engage and add value because you have to produce something that is of meaning they can't even clarify what that is until the preparation is right. done. So the preparation, the work with you, actually is what moves them to be able to clarify a project that will culminate in something that adds value. So I agree. And I'm going to the two students that we had interviewed with um, Kieran and Anthony, um, I think they both touch on two Mm -hmm. different aspects of what we do as librarians. So when I created a dementia virtual reality project for ELN a number of years ago, it was all set, ready to go. We had the 360 camera. Um, We had the ability to do it and then COVID happened and everything had to shut down. Although as Mara I found out, that's when the global Mm -hmm. really kicked in and ramped up. The students needed virtual ways to engage. So then now fast forward to now, and Kieran approached me because she was interested, but she was hesitant about doing the 360. And with the dementia one, what you do is you recreate a moment in time because the research has shown that people with dementia, when they wear the VR set and they are engaged in like a historical moment that they will remember, um, they shift their focus from themselves and they kind of calm down and um, it's really used in therapy with them. So the idea was to have students like recreate a moment, like theatrically recreate a moment. So obviously with Kieran, uh, a party of one, we could not do that. So like a reference interview in the prepare part, Mm -hmm. I asked her why should we gravitated toward the project. And it turned out that she had family members that had Alzheimer's and dementia, and a number of her aunts were caregivers, and they also knew people that had worked in nursing homes. So that's another aspect of the prepare with the librarian. We also asked the the student, what is your individual Mm -hmm. reason for gravitating, and is there some way to morph it? And then come to find out that she had her own YouTube vlog. So being a former anthropology librarian, I was like, well, what about an ethnographic study to supplement what will eventually be this repository of VR experiences? If you have access to all of these people that are caregivers, that's a voice that maybe is missing. And so she went back, she reflected on it, she thought Mm -hmm. about what she wanted to do with with neuroscience at the graduate level. And she came back and said, yeah, no, I want to do that. I want to I want to go back to Syracuse. I want to interview mm-hmm. a couple of people. And so we worked out, you know, that that's what she would go ahead and do. Um, what I think with Anthony, one of the things I picked up was his ability to leverage the experience he had oh, with yeah. you all. Does anybody want to talk about, about mm-hmm. that? He really leveraged it. Oh, absolutely. So uh, Anthony, it was, he has since graduated. He was a geography major in the department there. 
And so he was drawn to our project because of the importance of the Great Lakes geologically, geographically in the region. And he also had, I believe, I don't know if he mentioned this in his interview, but he had some experience with drones. And so he is really into virtual reality and using technology. So um, he leveraged, you know, he went out into the field. He took photographs of Tiffany Nature Preserve um, and he did vast amounts of research. But he leveraged his past first for the project, uh, taking GIS courses. So he went the extra mile and he made an ArcGIS story map. And it is probably one of the most incredible story maps I've actually ever seen. And I've seen a lot at this point. Um, It's really great because you can see how he integrated actually using geographic um, geospatial software, but then also the visual elements. And you could just see his passion for this project that he did. But so he leveraged this then, this entire experience, um, by participating in our GIS Day um, competition that we had, and he won. Um, but then he also put it on his resume, and he used it um, in his job interviews, and he actually has since been employed. I mean, he just graduated in May, so wow. that's great. Um, and he is working with a firm that uses GIS. Can we talk about leveraging for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just oh, I, uh, it's so, so many of them leveraged. Well, I mean, yeah. okay. So going back to our model in ELN, um, Pearl. So we've got prepare, engage, and add value. Reflect is about the integrating, right, with the narratives and, and academic and professional. But that final piece is leveraging. And that's something that we just don't do naturally, right? Everybody's moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Students maybe put something on on their resume and then move on. And so uh, really this is about creating value around experiences, right? And not just single points of value, but an entire value chain that can keep building. Um, And for our students, you know, having digital badges, which we can talk about, having these experiences that connect with their academics and their professional goals, um, there there are so many opportunities for them to leverage those and so much support, which is wonderful to hear about our students. When we think about our global partners, Mm -hmm. we also want them to leverage our engagement, right? Right. Um, We're not doing this just for our own benefit, that would be just another version of exploitation, mm-hmm. you know, right, which we're right. not trying to perpetuate. There's enough of that, right? We are trying to collaborate and we are trying to um, really leverage our resources to support them as well. Yeah, I mean, especially like I said before, like during the pandemic, when the, the global partners we had, they needed, they, they had information needs. As you all know, as librarians, misinformation uh, around COVID was just, you know, rampant everywhere. And there was a lot of information these communities needed to have in order to be safe and healthy. And so it was amazing because the students that were here on campus that ended up still finding these these Mm -hmm. experiences through the ELN portal gravitated towards the ones that had the global impact. And so they went out and they made... Um, promotional materials, marketing masks. materials, masks <laughs> themselves. They went yeah. to Pakistan mm-hmm. and did work. They they studied Urdu and translated wow. into what four or five mm-hmm. different languages. You know how to how to stay safe, how to you know healthy hygiene, how to take care of a mask. Some of the misinformation mm-hmm. they partners brought to us and said, is this true that this can happen or that can happen? And we would go back and research and say, you know, no, it's not. Or, you know, a student would say, hey, this partner is saying they need this or, mm-hmm. or, or that piece of material or information. And they, the students did a great job of kind of taking ownership mm-hmm. of, of some of these, these projects. We, we kind of put the little kernel in there. Yeah. And as we saw with these two projects that were highlighted, the students just mm-hmm. expanded on them in ways that we... Mm-hmm. I'll probably couldn't imagine. And what we learned um, is that the same, you know, virtual engagement platforms that worked for online teaching work beautifully for engaging with our partners. And so we were able to connect, um, you know, students with our partners in rural um, Tanzania and Uganda and Nigeria. We were able um, to ask partners what it is that they need, what is it that they're dealing with, and through connecting students with these real places in these real contexts, I think these issues and challenges um, are really sort of brought to life. 
and then connecting them back to the classes mm -hmm. and to the faculty. Um, I think that um, for me has just really inspired me to keep going mm -hmm. because yeah. it's all just so important. Um, and I think it's it's sort of our responsibility at the same time. So, yeah, and letting the students guide us, right? Right. That is sometimes <laughs> some of the hardest things to do is <laughs> let them guide us. You like want to take control a little yeah. bit. Um, but I think uh, with some of the global projects that you've worked on uh -huh. uh, over the past couple of years, speak to some of the stuff that Kim does with with GIS, with yes. geography. Well, I'm and, like sitting and, here thinking we got to talk, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah exactly. And, I think that having the three of you work on a, on lo a local project, um, and myself as well, and yeah. then obviously Kieran's was local as well, um, gives us that good foundation mm -hmm. to be able then to take that knowledge and mm -hmm. work on a, on a global, a potential global project. Because one of the things yeah. that, that you and I do with our, the projects in ELN and, and some of the global partners is revolve around the UN SDGs. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. The sustainable development goals are very key for mm -hmm. us. I know in business, mm -hmm. that's big, I would assume, um, in, yeah, in geography, a lot of the mapping that you're doing. Yes. Um, and in Brian, in information and misinformation, sure. the UN is really keen on making sure there is not misinformation mm -hmm. going around. And data is a lot of what supports these mm -hmm. SDGs and in, in making the targets and everything. So you want to talk yeah, a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I that? think what I'm finding, so a really interesting development that is sort of a game changer um, is in an effort to build equity with our partners and to make sure they're leveraging our engagement. Um, I recently convened, um, I guess, a, a collaborative. Uh, about 20, I invited 20 to 25 of our partners um, from all over Africa um, with the goal of, of of engaging them, um, you know, more actively in this whole project-based system. And um, what I've seen is um, that not only are their needs great, I think we already knew that, but their potential and their internal capacity is extraordinary. And maybe I shouldn't use the word extraordinary because that speaks to my own assumptions. Um, but these leaders of these small grassroots organizations are so motivated, so educated, so experienced. They are doing the work that the world needs. Um, and really, all they are lacking is access to digital yeah. information. And they, they have cell phones, all of them. They don't necessarily have good connectivity. And so what's so interesting is, is once you establish that, you know, and you look at it through the lens of opportunity and you look at the expertise that you all bring, um, I think it's it's really just a design challenge, right? Like, yeah. how do we do it? So, yeah, so I was able to sit down at one of these meetings and, you know, listen mm -hmm. to them. And they're from all over Africa, but... And they're, they're leveraging technology in ways that we would really love to see happen. But they need, like, a, say, a business plan for their NGO. Mm -hmm. They don't have a clear business plan. Mm -hmm. And I think, Carolyn, like, if she could work with them, and there would probably be students in the business school right. that would want to work in developing a business plan. There's things that they're doing that they want to, you know, map their local communities and the reason. Yes. And I'm like, oh, can we just, <laughs> right. like, eat this up? And I'm sure she's got students. And, and Ryan, with the how do we market, how do we get our message out, you know, and from an experiential learning we have a um, a global information um, experience in the portal where students learn how to assist NGOs in their information mm -hmm. gatherings. That could be something that, you know, Brian would like. Uh, there's other librarians. There, we, we have four of us right now, but right. they they're all have subject expert, well, expertise. Well, and look there's beyond public. UB. You think yeah. about the mm -hmm. potential. Mm -hmm. And you know what's amazing? I've also seen is that you know often our students aren't ready to develop their own businesses. They're not ready to jump to solutions, but there's something magical about getting close enough to a community mm -hmm. and wanting to assist and then learning through mm -hmm. them. I have seen students through our project portal um, you know, learn new skills and competencies 
get on Coursera mm -hmm. to, you know, to learn coding all because they want to add value and sort of help. And so I think that idea of connecting our students right. while we're working um, to help others, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And that's how I've tried to frame this is, you know, my work at the university is around undergraduate education. I'm an associate dean. My job is to give our students these high impact experiences. So I have a question about the fields. Um, so I, you know, I sort of take it for granted that I have Cindy and, you know, I have all of you now and there's so much potential. We have the ELN, we have our model. Is it unique in terms of librarians and their work across higher education or is this sort of where things are going um, so as it relates to experiential learning? So I'm not too clear on experiential learning specifically, mm -hmm. but embedded librarianship is really a big deal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my colleagues at other universities are always mm -hmm. trying to figure out ways to get involved, not even just in individual classes or with instructors, mm -hmm. but across the entire university. I mentioned crowdsource mapping before. Yeah. That's a big one that I know specifically that some of my map librarian colleagues work on. Um, but I think you guys probably have examples too from your colleagues at other institutions. Yeah, not to harp on entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial mm -hmm. mindset, but that's mm -hmm. um, besides the, the school management itself, like we go into courses, but we also are part of Blackstone Challenges and mm -hmm. different other pieces, like the engineering librarian and I, we, we go into a lot of those um, places as well. And we talk to a lot of, um, we even talk to alumni, we talk to like local, like local community mm -hmm. partners and, um, kind of expand that network outside of a traditional setting, yeah. so. So within our profession, you know, hopefully not many people have this view anymore, but they think of us sitting behind a big wooden reference yeah. desk, you yes. know. Or reading books. Or reading books, <laughs> and it is very much not like that at all. The experiential learning network allowing librarians to create projects mm -hmm. that were a, a need that they saw or an interest that they have, and then to mentor them has been really important. I don't know what other um, librarians do in higher mm -hmm. ed, but if if it's not a model, I would encourage other librarians who mm -hmm. might be listening to this, who are not from our university, maybe you all will agree, if you have an applied learning and experiential learning, some mm -hmm. sort of project type based- Internships. Yeah, entity. Study abroad. Yeah, and on your campus, sort of reach out to them because mm -hmm. there is opportunities. It's just so rewarding, the tangibility, the practical skills mm -hmm. that can be developed, especially at the undergraduate level. Yeah. If you can start sharpening your skills and really start stocking your tool belt early on, that's when it really goes into leveraging them yeah. at yeah. the next level. And taking the time now to do it, as a librarian, that mentorship is key, absolutely. Yeah. I think it empowers students, especially undergraduates, um, and it, it allows them early on to apply because sometimes they, they don't get to apply what they've learned in the classroom until yeah. after mm -hmm. they graduate. And this gives them that, that to opportunity practice. Yeah. to oomph. practice. Yeah. And then it gives them the drive forward. to yeah. keep going with it. It's yeah. the drive to keep going. That's, that's the retention. It's keeping yep. them right. engaged. Yeah. Um, in the campus and what's going on with the campus is also important as well, you know? Yeah. And they see themselves here. And yeah. touch points cognitively. Uh, you know, I think, I always think of high impact experiences as, you know, you create this well of experiences and you keep coming back. Um, and so as many touch points as you can with their coursework and with their programs of study, I think is, is important. Okay, so we got to wrap it up because right. we've been chatting, but um, I want to make sure we get the points that you all wanted to make about your project yeah. with Anthony. Um, well, essentially, uh, in 2021, Carolyn and I authored a grant through um, the Western New York Library Resources Council um, because we saw that it was being offered and we're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Why not do this? And they were offering the possibility of getting a 360 degree camera. And I knew we already had had one, but we can always use another one, we can always figure it out. Um, so we got the grant and part of the grant was to take photographs of places around the Western New York area and all of those photos would end up in a digital repository called Essie and they would live in perpetuity and they're Creative Commons license mm -hmm. so other people can use them for virtual experiences, so on and so forth. So we thought, 
let's leverage this opportunity <laughs> if we're going to talk about leveraging <laughs> yeah. and become part of the ELN portal and create Immersive 716, mm -hmm. which has two different branches. The one is the Great Lakes and one is the History of Buffalo. And it, they're, they're very similar, but at the same time, they're different. Mm -hmm. And um, mine, uh, the one that I've worked with is the History of Buffalo and really working with neighborhoods and places of high interest and some things like uh, the Hurdle neighborhood, Parkside, uh, the west side of Buffalo, Elmwood, Allentown, um, the Botanical Gardens, the zoo. But the students that I've worked with thus far, they kind of want to do their own thing. And most of them are not from Buffalo. Yeah. And why they're interested in the places are very interesting to me. Yeah. I'm like, why do you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's much value in that. And it's like, no, there's value in everything. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm from Buffalo, but things are different for me and it's just so big to them and seeing them make those connections mm -hmm. on the prepare level has been really cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and with the Great Lakes portion, mm -hmm. if you guys would like to speak to that. Yeah, sure. I mean, Kim and I had previously worked together um, to create a full research guide on the Great Lakes. So that was already something um, we were both very interested in, her being the map librarian and myself being a government information librarian. Um, you know, that was, we kind of combined our, our resources and did this together. Um, and we wanted to, we, we thought the significance, significance of the Great Lakes to us is already huge. And the Great Lakes region itself, it provides fresh water to 40 million people. It's 84% of North America's fresh water. So it's really applicable. And whether you're a business student, whether you're geology, whether you're interested in sustainability and environmental studies, so, and arts and culture even. So there's mm -hmm. so many different disciplines that would be interested in this, that that's what we thought was so appealing. Um, and so we, we put this out and we came up with suggestions kind of like Brian, where we were saying like, oh, geographic features of the Great Lakes, like maybe you're interested in birds or fish or invasive species or whatever. And it was surprising to see what students wanted to do. Um, and they wanted to also look at waterways around the Great Lakes and like features around the Great Lakes and how that appealed to it. Um, we also had students, like you said, um, Anthony was from Rochester, so he was familiar with the Great Lakes, but we also had a student who was from China, and his reasoning too was, he's like, I want to explore the importance of this, because this is so interesting to me, and I want to go and present it to like my student group after this. And so he wanted to go and introduce it to all of his fellow students, which I thought was such a great reason for um, doing this as well, because he's like, I'm in this international club, and we they need to know about this too. So we had such so many like different great reasons for this. Um, but yeah, if you want to chime in, a well, little bit. so his experience was uh, interesting to me because he did the Buffalo Naval Park, mm -hmm. but he did it in winter, so the Naval yeah. Park wasn't open. So, but he got outside shots of the ships, and so Carolyn and I always kind of thought we would encourage future project. Um, students working on the project to go back so that perhaps we could get inside mm -hmm. or at least closer to the ship. So he even interestingly captured a unique mm -hmm. moment in Buffalo history without realizing it. So yes. that one was just interesting to me. But um, yeah, there are just so many possibilities here on the Great Lakes I mentioned. Um, so we had someone go on the Niagara Gorge, so the art park area, um, and then Tiff Nature Preserve. But um, there are just so many possibilities. So I guess like, to wrap up, for anyone that's listening, please go on to the ELN Experiential Learning yeah. Project portal to see the projects that are there. There's how many of them are there, Mara, now? About 280, I think. Last I remember them when we were like 90. Yeah. But yeah, and it, they're very diverse. They, yeah. You have a nice uh, scheme for searching and finding them. So if you're a student, go in and take a look at them. If you're maybe local to our community and you're a business or a nonprofit, you know, maybe you might want to, you know, work with us. So take a look at what's there. There's ways if you're a faculty member or instructor or even a librarian to put in a project. Mm -hmm. So consider, you know, putting in a project. So the ELN and the project portal is, you know, something for everyone. It's for the students. It's for faculty, instructors, local community, global community. And um, hopefully librarians that are hearing this that are not from we might go out and explore what's on their campus. What a great discussion. Now here is an interview I conducted with a UB student, Curran Berry, discussing her experiential learning network project. Today we have the privilege of speaking with Curran Berry, 
a student who recently graduated with a double major in urban and public policies, as well as psychology, in addition to a minor in the neuroscience program here at UB. Curran worked with one of our librarians, Cindy Tissick, in creating a program investigating the utilization of virtual reality as a treatment in helping dementia patients. Curran had a first-person experience with a relative with Alzheimer's. Hi, Curran. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. We thank you for agreeing to this interview. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you stumbled on this project? Yes. Yeah, so. Um, I had not yet gathered much experience and I wanted to find something to participate in. I explored UB's project portal, which is full of different research opportunities and internships when I came across Cynthia Tizik's project, um, which dealt with potentially seeking virtual reality as a treatment for Alzheimer's patients. As a student with an educational background in, in neuroscience, it was extremely important for me to join a method as a method to gain more insight on our degenerative diseases. That's fantastic. Can you summarize a little bit about what you did for the Dementia Project? Yes. So um, I have been able to establish my own ethnographic study where I interview different caretakers. I'm hoping to just gather details on individuals who have experience with patients and could essentially assist in the development of the treatments. I don't know, just like the joy um, that I felt being able to work with the neurodegenerative diseases, um, to have direct communication with patients and just develop a plan to establish effective change is all reasons as to why I felt it was really important to join um, this project. That's fantastic. Um, specifically, do you have any you know, this project, any first person experience that would draw you to something like dementia? Yeah. So my great aunt, she actually had Alzheimer's disease. Um, and it was it was very difficult because I remember going to her house as like a kid um, and just like doing different tasks with her. And then as an adult going in her, not even knowing my name. Um, and also I'm a student who um, graduated with a, a minor in neuroscience. And my plan for my career is to do pediatric neuropsychology um, where I hope to help kids um, who have neurodegenerative diseases. So all of that just encompasses also like reasons as to why um, this was really important for me. It just gave me an outlet and an, a chance to um, gain like firsthand experience and talk to people who were caretakers and were able to just pour into me. Um, it was really important to me. So that's really why and really how I came across this project and why I selected this project. Yeah, it resonates a lot if, uh, you know, it has like a meaningful, you know, personal impact in any of anybody's studies. I can totally understand that. Could you uh, let us know what challenges you faced and, and, and how did you work through them? Yes. Okay, so some of the challenges that I faced throughout this project would definitely be forcing myself to dig and ask difficult questions. I'm really soft-spoken um, and I don't like to step on anyone's toes. However, throughout my interviews, I had to force myself to ask the uncomfortable questions in order to like gain the insight needed to educate a broader audience um, on everything that comes with Alzheimer's, dementia patients, et cetera. Um, nonetheless, I had to really push through and become comfortable with the uncomfortable if I wanted to gain knowledge um, of the hard realities that the caretakers are subjected to. Gotcha, yeah, I hear you there. Um, could you, uh, you know, throughout your, your, your project experience, could you uh, let us know something that stands out in your mind from, from your experience with the Dementia Project? Um, something that struck a chord with you that was humorous or particularly meaningful? Yeah. So one experience that really stood out to me would have to be the interview conducted with Wayne Sistrunk, um, and specifically something that he expressed during his time. Um, Mr. Sistrunk provided multiple examples of the life he experienced with his mother-in-law, and one instance that really stuck a nerve was um, when he discussed his mother asking to drive the car and um, take the car to the bank. 
Um, and he discussed not being able to come directly out and tell her the real reason why she couldn't take the car. And he quotes directly, it hurts my feelings to even have to fabricate a story to tell her why she can't drive. So that entire interview was really meaningful for me. Um, but in that moment in particular, it moved me tremendously um, because I could see the emotion in his body language and the tears forming within his eyes. Yeah, no, it resonated with me too. I mean, it was, uh, you can see that, you know, it, it wore on the guy for sure. Um, could you uh, explain any library resources? How did you incorporate, you know, what, what we do here at the University of Buffalo Libraries for the research into your project? Okay. So, well, I guess I can start by um, talking about the equipment. So I, to even do the, the interviews, I had to get professional equipment professional cameras and everything. Um, and I went to UB libraries for that. Everything I used from the microphones to the camera to the tripod was directly from UB's library. Um, in terms of like research that I've done, it came from Cynthia Tizik, which is what she's works with the library. Um, and she helped me. She really first directed me on like, you know, different websites and apps that I can use. Um, the Wayback, um, which kind of provided me with actual footage on individuals who actually experienced dementia and Alzheimer's. And it was like an app where they would basically, um, you can have three settings. So it was like the home, um, it was the grocery store, um, and it was one more, I forgot the last one. But basically, it would basically put you into the, the eyes of a dementia patient and you can kind of just walk through the grocery store and you kind of see how they may forget things and when they go to pick up things that maybe weren't even on their list. So it just kind of really gave me just the, the insight and experience as to how it may fail to be the dementia patient. She also um, put me in through a walk through dementia, which was another app and that also kind of um, was walk through dementia and the eyes of dementia patients um, through the home. Um, and then different um, websites as well, different research articles that I was able to just keen in a little bit more on and just um, gain a deeper understanding of dementia. So all of that kind of is big reasons and big, were big like, I don't know, helpful um, things that I was able to use to kind of make this project what it is today. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. That's what a lot of people doing projects do. Um, could you tell us what your, uh, the final output of uh, your project, what was it? What did you submit? And uh, what are future plans do you have for, for you know, this concept that you have? So the final project, I only unfortunately got two people to participate in the interview, two caretakers, one um, who actually worked in a facility and the other who was um, a caretaker of his mother-in-law, um, which it was they were both really great interviews and I appreciate both participants. So thank you for that. Um, but the interviews, they were about maybe eight to nine questions and they just gave their experiences with dementia patients, ranging from questions about the everyday life, just different things that they go through with the patients, um, how they respond. Um, so they're really informative. Um, in the future, something that I hope to do is um, interview more patients, well, not patients, but more caretakers and probably actually patients as well. Um, and then also maybe get footage of patients and the everyday life as well as so I can um, showcase that. Um, also, I want to hopefully in the future, um, join Cynthia with virtual reality because I'm really interested in it. Um, and I feel like after all of the articles I've read on virtual reality being a potential form of treatment for Alzheimer's, I think that it is amazing and it can really help. So I hope to also um, have a hand in that. Yeah, I've seen some videos uh, with uh, virtual reality working, you know, in the psycho psychology field and it's really, really impressive. And I think, uh, you know, it's gonna be a new and exciting frontier for, for that science. Um, thank you very much for agreeing to this interview. We learned a lot and uh, best of luck in all of your future plans. The following is another interview Omar Brown conducted with another student, Anthony Bertelli. Joining us today is Anthony Bertelli. Anthony is involved in a project called Immersive 716, the North American Great Lakes Project. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Omar? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. 
Uh, can you please summarize what you did for the Immersive 716, the North American Great Lakes project? Yes, of course. So for this project, there are two main objectives here. Um, first one being to create some virtual reality tours using a 360 degree camera. Okay. Um, and the second was to create um, either a research project or um, an immersive interactive website um, that kind of recapped this project and what I did in it. Um, so going off of the first ob objective, kind of had some guidelines set by um, Kim and Carolyn over at Lockwood Library. Okay. Um, they ran the project. Um, so I kind of did some research about what sites I would want to uh, photograph with the camera. Um, I chose to do TIFF Nature Preserve, Woodlawn Beach, um, and Steelwinds, and then the Outer Harbor. And then after doing some research, they uh, showed me the camera. It was a cool little camera. Um, basically what, would you, what you would use to take pictures uh, for Google Street View. And um, they just showed me the ropes and how I could best utilize it, how to use the, the tripod that it came with, um, okay. and the software too. Um, so then eventually I, I traveled out on my own uh, to these sites uh, and kind of explored because what you see on Google Maps is definitely not what you see in person. Right. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of plan out the tours and what I'd want to photograph. Um, so then after planning out these tours, I took the pictures and then downloaded them to my laptop and went on the software, created them. And then it was basically time to do my final research paper. Or uh, actually, I didn't do the research paper. I did the, the interactive story map. Okay. And with the story map, I just did some more research on TIFF Nature Preserve and um, used some geographic um, mapping features, and it was done. Yeah, excellent. What drew you to this specific project? What drew me to this specific project was um, kind of the title was the Great Lakes and being from Rochester and growing up next to Lake Ontario. Um, I've always enjoyed it and want to learn more about it. Right. Um, I remember specifically in the project's um, description, it was telling you about the history, um, the geology, um, and important locations on these Great Lakes. And if you like that stuff, then you should do this project and that you could use a cool new camera that the library just bought. Right. So some cutting um, edge technology. So that sounded really cool. So uh, I contacted um, Carolyn. Okay. What challenges did you face and how did you work through them? Um, the main challenge I'd say I'd face was creating the ArcGIS story map, um, just because it was a new software I've never used before. Okay. And they had a lot of features that I wanted to utilize to their best ability. Um, there was a lot of mapping features that uh, I haven't done in a couple of years uh, since I took the classes like in freshman and sophomore year. Um, so I had to kind of relearn how to use those. And then basically just wanting to line up the pictures I took at these at the nature preserve and also the, the information and seeing what feature would, should go with what um, information photograph I took. So I basically got around this issue by just looking at a lot of other story maps on the internet and um, seeing how they utilize these features um, and just gave me a lot of inspiration. Okay, great. Was there one experience that stands out in your mind, uh, something that struck a chord with you or was humorous, particularly meaningful to you? Yeah, so I'd say this experience came after um, the project was completed. Kim Plashia, a Lockwood librarian, hosted the GIS Day Showcase, as well as running the project. And she kind of encouraged me to enter in this contest with my story map I created. And I actually ended up winning this competition. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess this experience just kind of helped me a lot professionally because I put this on my resume and actually got asked a lot about it, um, interviewing for jobs and 
I got to talk to a lot of local GIS professionals within the showcase competition. Um, so I got a lot of uh, networking in and they show, they told me a lot of um, useful tips and how to get jobs and stuff like that. So without Kim kind of pushing me and um, giving me this opportunity to do this project, I wouldn't have ever entered this competition and even have done this project, so. Okay. How did you incorporate library resources or research into this project? So the most obvious and basic answer would be using this camera that the library just bought and that was the main feature in this project. Um, the, the, the camera is really cool, like I said before, and it was, a, it was just fun getting used to using a new technology and okay. photographing anything, is, it's pretty fun, I think. So um, using the camera is really fun. And uh, I also use the UB Library Research Database um, to get some information on TIFF Nature Preserve since it's not really a, it's not a, it's a, it's a local place, so there's not much on there on the internet for it. And also when I was doing the story map, I, I, did, I covered some in, kind of endangered species and uh, special migratory birds that I wanted to cover. So I got some information about them through um, the research uh, database. Oh, okay. Now this is an additional question though, but um, besides taking photographs of the particular areas with your 360 camera, did you take any videos? I did take a couple videos. There were a couple times where some wildlife at Tift were just doing their thing. Like I got right. some birds land on my hand. Oh, excellent. That was really cool. Um, there were, what were they? There were wood, there's a mink in the water just swimming around and gathering some, I think it was berries. Uh, there is Canada geese, even though they're not the greatest for the nature preserve, but they're fun to watch and just dive around. Okay. So, so yeah, the, 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 the wildlife, were, they're fun to photograph as well. Ah, excellent, excellent. Well, Anthony, thank you for joining. That concludes our interview for today. I'm Omar Brown, evening supervisor here at Silver Media Library. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this informative edition of Libraries Out Loud. We would like to thank all of the participants in the discussion, as well as the two students, Curran and Anthony, for agreeing to be interviewed even after their projects had been completed. For more information on the Experiential Learning Network, please visit their website at www.buffalo.edu backslash eln.html. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Libraries Out Loud podcast. We'll see you again.